Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a podcast brought to you by the Triad Network. This podcast is designed to share trending topics occurring within the world and our communities and bring them a behavioral and mental health perspective. Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a Triad production. I'm your host, Dr. Graham Taylor. More than ever, people are suffering from mental health problems with roughly one in six adults managing some symptoms associated with mental health at any given time. Depression is one such mental health challenge, but it isn't always easy to identify or to diagnose. However, there's one company that's developed an unusual way to tell if someone is depressed by listening to their voice, then using voice biomarkers to measure and predict well-being. My guests today are Rima Salova Olson and Prentice Tom. They're both joining me on behalf of Kintsugi, a natural voice biomarker artificial intelligence program that detects signs of depression and anxiety from short clips of speech. Rima is a co-founder and chief scientist at Kintsugi. She's a former competitive programmer who has extensive experience in developing and productizing ML models. Her previous experience includes setting up the big data infrastructure from scratch at an ML-powered fintech company valued at $6 billion. Prentice is the chief medical officer at Kintsugi and a pioneer in healthcare. He graduated from Harvard Medical School, completed residency at John Hopkins Hospital, and was a Kaiser Fellow at MIT. I'm so excited to have them both here with me today as we talk about their mental health prevention pioneering and their development of Kintsugi, their natural language AI program. Rima Prentice, it's so nice to have you here today. Welcome. Thank you very much, Graham. It's really a pleasure to be here today. Nice to have you both. Hey, you know, I got a chance to kind of give a little bit of a background in my introduction of you both, but I know that you both have different positions, really complementary sides, if you will, within the company. Rima, you've got the tech side and Prentice kind of the clinical side. So give us kind of a quick two-minute drill on what brought you both together in this collaborative work that you're doing with Kintsugi. Rima, could you start us out, please? Sure, thank you so much for having us here, Graham. It's a pleasure to speak on this topic. For the past three years, we've been trying to come up with some solutions to help those who need access to mental health care. So we're really privileged and honored to be able to share our thoughts and showcase our work. What brought me to this field and to working on Kintsugi is personal experience. Having struggled with postpartum depression after delivery of my first child and struggling to access mental health services and not being able to see a professional for about two months, mm. I was pretty shocked to learn that my situation is not an isolated incidence. No. And when I met my co-founder and CEO, Grace, at our OpenAI hackathon in San Francisco, she shared the very similar challenges, waiting five months to see mm. someone for her mental health struggles. And we realized that it's a big problem that has been neglected by technologists and innovators for quite some time. And we've decided to put our heads together and see what a couple of very motivated technical engineer women can do in this field. Really good. Really good. Prentice, how about you? Well, Graham, I'm actually a physician by training, and I used to work with a large company called Vituity. We're a national services company that provides clinicians across the United States. And I served as their chief medical officer and chief innovation officer. And a number of years ago, I had the opportunity to help create a very novel program in healthcare. It's actually recognized across the country now as a method of decreasing the wait time 
and the suffering of patients who have emergent psychiatric conditions. We brought in a number of psychiatric experts, Scott Zeller, who's a national leader in developing these programs and really started to integrate care in the emergency space, at least, where up until that period of time, it would often take sometimes, and this is phenomenal and it's almost unbelievable, but it takes two to three days sometimes when someone comes in with an emergent psychiatric condition to place them into a inpatient unit. Yeah. And we worked to create a combination of a telehealth program, on-site psychiatry and crisis stabilization units, and integrating that entire spectrum of care to reduce the wait time for patients from often what was days to hours. And that was my first introduction into the mental health space and it was actually through emergency care. I actually had worked with a number of health tech companies and was introduced to Kintsugi a number of years ago and started out as their advisor. And so when they were seeking a chief medical officer, I really actually embraced that opportunity, the opportunity to work with a group as creative and innovative as Kintsugi was just a real to me, a real opportunity to help move the needle. It sounds like a really natural next step for you, doesn't it? Given what you were doing and your concerns and this idea of wait times and access to care that could be integrated better. Really nice. You know, I, I love the name. I want to kind of park you just for a second, Kintsugi. It's a beautiful Japanese word. And, and I'm curious, Rima, how did you folks come up with this name of the company? And what's the significance in the history of this name? Yeah, I was mesmerized by the name as well. When I joined Kintsugi, when I joined my co-founder and CEO, Grace Chang, on this journey, she had already chosen the name. Oh, she did. Uh, yes, she had. She was on a medical vacation in Japan. And it was a time in her career when she was contemplating various different ways for her to develop the career further. And one of the thoughts she had was working on something independently. And when she visited an exhibit, Kintsugi exhibit that included pottery yes. with the gold enameling that yeah. glued together, the thematic idea of Kintsugi resonated with her so much that it gave her the courage to yeah. leave her comfort zone a startup that was extremely successful, has won numerous awards, and she left that place to start something of her own, working on a startup that pursues her passion, which is mental health. And I knew about the concept, I knew about this philosophy of Kintsugi, and I had just gone through a period of time when I literally felt like a broken vase. Yes. Broken and shattered, unable to put myself together and pull myself up. And this concept is so uplifting and interesting for a person in that state of mind that even if you're shattered right now, in the future, that experience actually is going to make you more beautiful. I, I really like that. I, and I appreciate you kind of laying that out for audience. It's, you know, the kind of the art of repair, the kin is the golden and the, the sugi is the, the repair of the joinery, this golden joinery. It's a beautiful concept. What I loved about it so much, and I've, I've studied it a, a bit myself too, because I think it has 
metaphorically a very dynamic relationship to what therapy is. People think we're shattered, we're broken, and we're only going to be as good as our history or our shatteredness. But no, it's not. In fact, there's not only, you know, in terms of the the whole Kintsugi theory, there's really no attempt to hide the damage. In fact, the repair is literally illuminated with gold or silver or even platinum at times. And so the idea is we're finding beauty in the imperfections. And really, when you talk about it that way, it's talking about resilience at its best. And it's highlighting our resilience and how we're stronger because of the repairs that we make and those seams that we kind of fill in and the areas of growth that we make are so significant. I really, I really like it. Well, let me talk a little bit about, and Prentice, you were talking a little bit about this before, about access and wait times. And and you said the same things as well, Rima, about access to care. But in terms of what you're doing with Kintsugi now, in terms of a needs assessment and vision, so let me just kind of paint a picture. If I'm a physician, let's say a medical doctor in private practice, it's not uncommon for my patients to have a mental health illness as we're talking about or an issue as they present their medical problems to me. In fact, we know that the data says that roughly one in six patients is likely to have a mental illness like depression or anxiety. So I know that the data also tells me that I'm likely as a physician, despite how much I care for my patients, to only identify a mental health concern about 47% of the times when they present it. And I'm likely only to note it 33% of the time. So that leaves about 60% of my patients not receiving any treatment for a year, no medication, no therapy, no support groups. And it's made challenging for a number of reasons, including that some mental health illnesses like you know depression, anxiety are hard to catch especially with my high functioning patients and the fact that some patients may not be, you know, necessarily fully aware of themselves of their anxiousness or depressive symptoms. And some folks aren't necessarily, you know, good historians or good with their self-report. So how do these statistical realities and also the practical realities of running my practice in healthcare, how are they part of your needs assessment and vision casting in the development of Kintsugi and trying to use voice recognition to identify these things that aren't always easy to catch? Yeah, Graham, you really sort of outline one of the major issues with mental health conditions and their diagnosis and treatment, not globally. And, and it's something that's very interesting in medicine. There is no area of medicine. There's no specialty or clinical area that is more art than science, than mental health conditions. That's right. It's, it's an area that has the least quantitative tools available to the clinician Mm -hmm. to assess the degree or presence of pathology. And interestingly, it is also the area that patients can sometimes either have less self-awareness as to their own degree of disease and or also where they could sometimes be embarrassed to share with the clinician their feelings and their emotions and what they're thinking of. And so for a variety of reasons, it ends up being an area that probably is the single most underdiagnosed area in medicine is mental health disorders. And it's, it's very difficult for the clinician to pick up on the cues that patients may or may not exhibit of their mental health conditions. So tools like Kintsugi that are scalable, and they provide a quantifiable, reproducible metric of people's mental health conditions are incredibly valuable. The fact that it's non-invasive is sort of icing on the cake, because now what we have is a tool that can be used to screen 
essentially every individual in the U.S. Currently, as you mentioned, it, it, it's very underdiagnosed. It's estimated that well over 50% of elderly patients with at least one chronic disease have some degree of depression. That shouldn't surprise any of us. Elderly, they've often lost multiple family members. Sure. They may not be working. They've lost some of their reasons for living. Their friends have passed on, and now they have chronic pain and chronic disease. And so there are a significant number of those individuals with depression. And if we look at anxiety disorder, it's now epidemic in yes. today's youth. It's estimated yes. one out of three youth now have anxiety disorder in the United yes. States. And it's unfortunate, it's unlikely that we're going to see changes in the social circumstances that are going to reduce that burden of mental disease on our youth. In fact, we're probably going to see it continue to increase. Totally and so agree. tools like Kintsugi that can be applied in a completely non-invasive way across the population are incredibly valuable in helping us differentiate patients who need further treatment or who are on the borderline and just need some other type of service yes. that helps them so that they don't get to the point where their disease is significantly pathological and incredibly useful. We'll be right back after word from our sponsor. Are you preparing for a licensure exam in psychology, social work, marriage and family therapy, counseling, or behavioral analysis? AATBS is here to help. We have been supporting behavioral mental health students to prepare for their licensure exams for more than 45 years, working with over 1 million students to succeed on test day and move on to the next step in their career. With products ranging from comprehensive courses to quiz banks and delivered live online, self-study online, and in print, AATBS has test prep solutions that meet every student's needs and learning styles. Visit us today at aatbs.com. That's aatbs.com and use promo code BHT15 to save 15% off your next purchase. That is really great. I know I want to keep it patient focused here, but I also know that depression itself directly increases overall treatment costs two to three times magnifying these costs. And health payers and systems are already paying, you know, exorbitant amounts and it just, it gets complicated and compounded, doesn't it? Rima, I would, I would love to hear you kind of walk us through more of what Prentice is talking about here and how this really the first modern talk therapy app designed to enrich this virtual call data for practitioners and the patients themselves to detect depression and anxiety from short clips of speech. Walk us through how this works and kind of the whole process itself, would you please? Sure, definitely. Thank you. Sure. When we look at how depression is currently screened for, it does take place in less than 5% of primary care interactions. Mm. But de facto, mental health services are provided in the primary care doctor's office instead of a psychiatrist. As a patient with anxiety and depression myself, I can say I have never seen a psychiatrist. I was diagnosed and prescribed medications by my primary care physician. Mm -hmm. So we wanted to solve this problem of not identifying depression and anxiety when they're at the lower level of acuity and routing those patients to different sets of tools 
that don't require human mental health professional and prevent the problem from escalating further where you need actually the mental health professional's attention. But in order to do that, in order to catch that, screening for mental health should be part of any primary care visit. Just like our weight, our blood pressure, body temperature, and pulse are measured during every single visit, mental health conditions should be screened for. But they're not because of a variety of different issues associated with it. The tools to measure mental health and quantify the severity of mental health are paper-based questionnaires that are administratively burdensome to administer. So we wanted to create something that is easy to use, that is objective and reliable, so that we can make sure that every single patient get screened for mental health conditions, just as they would for their physical conditions. And the way to do that is to bring measurement that is more easy to use and measurement that is more objective. The screening rate of less than 5% is also different by various demographic groups. African-Americans are two times less likely to be screened than their Caucasian counterparts. Elderly are twice less likely to be screened than their working age counterparts. So not only we need to come up with the measurement, that measurement should be superior to the tools that we already have currently. Because currently used tools are subject to the subjective biases of the clinician. That's right. So in order to make any progress in any field, as engineers and technologists, we believe that we need objective measurements, but also we can come up with an objective measurement if we measure EEG or fMRI scans, but that is not easy to use, right? We also want our tool to be easy to use. We cannot imagine that every single primary care visit includes EEG readings or fMRI. So we needed to balance between those different needs, right? We need to make it objective and accurate, but at the same time, easy to use. And what is easy to use is voice signal, which is accessible to everyone. Everyone in their pocket has a very high fidelity recording device, phones, right? And we looked at the voice as having biomarker and predictive power for depression and anxiety. And literature is actually quite mature, given that the speech community has been studying it since I think in the 70s, there was a big push and the work continued up to today. But with the advances in compute power and artificial intelligence as a field, we realized that it's actually the best time for us to take all of the academic knowledge that has been accumulated decades over decades and turn that into a product that can actually Mm -hmm. be integrated into clinical Mm -hmm. workflows and have impact on patient outcomes and also bring down the cost of healthcare. You're talking about the ability to have an objective and reliable measure, which is pretty exciting. And the sad reality that less than 5% of people are being screened for these things that are very significant in their healthcare, their their life experiences, the way they perceive life, the way they perceive their, their, their physical illnesses, et cetera, that they're being treated for. And you're talking about these biomarkers that we have a really great history around and great predictive abilities. Talk about how you've taken that history and you've taken it now and you put it into 
Kintsugi in a way that people are able to, in a very easily accessible way, they kind of just grab their phone, walk us through what someone does, and then how that information gets used or even communicated to their provider. So Kintsugi's technology can be used in a variety of use cases. The main use case is in the call centers. There are still many, many cases when the only touch point is the member or with the patient and the clinician is via a phone call. It can be care management or case management outbound calls from health insurance companies or, or their doctors and providers. So... Any setting where we have access to voice has the opportunity of taking advantage of our technology to provide them visibility mm. into the mental health status of the speaker. And I say speaker because we can analyze not only the right. patient or the member, but the clinician himself or herself, which is an incredibly interesting use case that we're exploring with some of our clinical partners. Prentice can cover that a little bit more with Loma Linda University. But the speaker's voice contains so much information about how the muscles in our vocal articulators are working, how fast they're contracting, how effectively they're working to produce certain sounds. And that information can be seen in the wavelet of the voice or certain features of the voice that we take a look at under microscope, right, in our research. And in terms of clinical workflows, call center interactions are very interesting touch point, especially for those vulnerable populations who are on Medicaid, who don't have primary care physician that they go to on a regular basis. They very seldomly use healthcare services in the first place. So if they happen to call their health insurance or the yes. health insurance provides those impact outbound calls, it's a very good opportunity to see whether these patients might benefit from further behavioral health screening and benefit from services. Another use case is during a virtual call visit, during a video call with the patient and their doctor, where during that call, instead of administering paper and pen-based questionnaires, Within the first 30 seconds, the doctor can see whether the person has depression or anxiety. It can be shown on the dashboard of the doctor right then and there, real time. So they can double click and ask mental health related questions right then and there. And if there's an opportunity to help this person and take that piece of information as an additional data point, right? The patient might be presented for back pain or migraine. Yes. that we can get a fuller picture of the patient and see whether mental health condition plays any factor in this complaint that the patient is presenting. And the third use case is remote patient monitoring. So our technology can be integrated into any application on iPhone or any other device so that patients can use it as a journaling device where they pick into an application and as time goes by, we longitudinally track how they're doing on the mental health severity front. So that would be something outside the doctor's office in a way that they can just kind of monitor the mental health with some immediate feedback. I want to go off of that, Rima, if I could, and, and Prentice, bring it back to you. Rima's talking about how people suffering from de depression speak differently, not so much in the words that they use, but maybe the frequency range of their vowel production or what we call paraverbal features. 
Speak to that a little bit for us, if you would, and help us understand how those that are depressed, maybe even anxious, speak differently. It's not so much what's being said, but how it's being said. Yeah, Graham, I think that is what is so elegant about the Kintsugi tool. And as soon as people hear that it is a tool that analyzes voice, we automatically assume that it has to do with what they're saying and the words that they're using. But that's not how the tool works at all, actually. What the tool does is it looks at how mental health conditions and pathology impact psychomotor function. And as Rima had mentioned, these mental health conditions impact psychomotor function in a, in a very complex way. And there's very few psychomotor functions that are more intricate than the production mm -hmm. of sound. It, it, it involves our brain, how we're putting together the neurons that are going to make particular sounds. It involves our laryngeal muscles. It involves our diaphragm and our intercostals. And so what we're looking at are various spectral and prosodic elements of how sound is actually being manufactured and comparing those to each other and within that person's context of, of their own speech patterns. And through that, we're able to correlate that to their degree of mental health pathology in terms of depression and anxiety. So it's really an elegant tool because it is both language and content agnostic. And it, it doesn't depend on the patient's language, the region that they're from, their educational level. It actually is looking at something much more intrinsic to their physiology than those factors that are actually influenced by our, our upbringing, our, our socialization, et cetera. So that's essentially how the tool operates. And I just want to mention that with the move to virtual care, mm -hmm. that was really accelerated because of this pandemic, we've actually come to a much greater recognition of the value that virtual care can play in the care yes. of everyone. And that they now estimate 40% of all care will, will be virtual. And it may even go up from there. But really what that means is 100% of people will have some portion of their care be virtual. Really a tool like this can be utilized across the entire population now. And so every person will have the opportunity to assess their mental wellness, just as we check a blood pressure on every individual. That is really good. When you're talking about just the need and the growing mental health issues that are occurring, the thing we need very much is almost like a a mental health x-ray, which is really what this is. You're able to take to Arima, as, as I've been reading, the scores from the feedback that you receive from this voice program, and then actually kind of creates a score on what the paper pencil, you can give the PHQ-9 or the GAD-7. It creates scores that are measurable and allows you to, and also a scale of zero to 20, I believe is what it is too, if I remember right able to track these scores for somebody as a baseline measure, much like we might get with a blood test. This is a mental health kind of score here that you can also track as a doc and, and watch your patient improve, but give you some sense of how severe the depression and anxiety may be in the patient that you're treating. Graham, it, it really moves us. It creates a paradigm shift in mental health. Currently, we look at mental health from a very physician-centric disease perspective. And when we can actually assess every person's mental wellness, mental health becomes an issue of mental wellness now, because yes. 
all of us, all of us suffer from some degree of depression or anxiety sure. at one point or another. And it's sort of like taking our blood pressure or measuring our lipid profile or our blood sugar. Now we can stratify the population across the entire spectrum versus only looking at the people on the far left end of the spectrum that currently qualify as disease. And then it stratifies care options. And I don't mean just clinicians. Some people don't need a clinician. Many don't. Most don't. They don't need a counselor even. Maybe they just need a meditation app, a chat bot. They just need to look at their own work day. It actually creates a paradigm shift so that we can stratify how we view mental health from a perspective of wellness. Hello, folks. Pardon the interruption, but we'll continue this discussion on our next show. I want to thank our guests, Rima Solova Olson and Dr. Prentice Tom, for coming on our show today. For more information about Kintsugi and their natural language AI software, please visit www.kintsugihello.com. You can find Kintsugi in the Apple App Store by searching Kintsugi, spelled K-I-N-T-S-U-G-I. You can also connect with Kintsugi on LinkedIn at www.linkedin.com slash company slash Kintsugi Hello. And lastly, I want to thank our listeners for tuning in today, and we'll look forward to seeing you next time on Behavioral Health Today. We appreciate all the support from our community, and if you like our show, one of the best ways you can support it is by giving us a five-star rating and leaving a review. Behavioral Health Today is a podcast part of the Tribe Network, all rights reserved.